the Sage of New Hampshire series by Mick Rowland. Book six, The Summer of Wood and Iron. Chapter two, Solution with a Catch. Martin tugged Tin Man's long wagon onto the driveway pavement before harnessing himself to it. He checked that the generator and welder were strapped down tightly. He didn't want the bumpy ride to pitch anything over the side. He cinched the belt made from a toe strap around his hips and clipped the wagon shafts to the metal rings sewn into the sides of the belt. After a few tugs to test the connections, he leaned forward as if into a strong wind and took a few steps to get the trailer rolling. Huh, I guess this is what peaches or constants feel like, hitched up to the buckboard, he muttered. Pulling Tin Man's trailer along the dirt road was a lot more work than it had been on his paved driveway. The slightest rock or small pothole was like a stab of the brakes. Passing Nick's house, Martin could see him out in the front yard, hoeing between the rows of cornstalks. Hey, Martin, Nick waved enthusiastically. Where are you going with Tin Man this time? Uh, Hendrix, Martin grunted between tugs. Oh, oh, here, let me help you. Nick turned and shouted to his front door. Teddy! I don't really need any help, said Martin. It's just up the road a bit. After a moment, Nick's teenage son appeared in the doorway. Oh, what? I need to help Mr. Simmons pull his generator to the Hendrix, Nick said. Come finish hoeing the corn. Oh, but Dad. No, but Dad. Cutting that pile of brush can wait. I weeded these three rows. You do the rest. Nick dropped the hoe and half-jogged over to Martin. I appreciate your offer of help, Nick, but it's not that much work to pull Tin Man that little way. Nick didn't answer, but pulled a second toe-strap belt from the front of the trailer and cinched it around his waist. Well, that's okay, he said as he unclipped one of the trailer's poles for Martin's and clipped it to his belt. Oh, you look like you could use a hand. Martin noticed Teddy trudge toward the rows of corn like a convict on his way to the electric chair. Uh, is this just so you could get out of weeding? Martin asked quietly. No, protested Nick. Oh, Teddy's been uh, complaining about always having to cut up those branches and brush to make rocket stove fuel. Uh, says that's all he ever does. Uh, so I figured a little weeding should be like a welcome break. Nick forced a smile. Aha, Martin muttered skeptically. He leaned into the load to get the trailer rolling again. Oh, what's going on at the Hendrix? Nick asked. Oh, Charles has another special project, of course. Oh, what is it this time? Uh, could I help? Uh, look, uh, Nick, I don't know if there's anything in it for you. I'm only doing a little welding on something they said that they'd finish. They didn't say they were looking for more help. Oh, that's okay, offered Nick. I'm not begging for a cut or anything, uh, ju just being helpful. Martin sighed. In a world of too much to do and too little time, dropping everything to be altruistically helpful was rare, at best. Everyone angled for something in return for their time. The two of them plodded along in silence until they reached the intersection of their dirt road and the small highway. Say, um, do you know if Mrs. Hendrick, uh, still makes her oat biscuits? 
Nick asked, with a feigned nonchalance. Martin rolled his eyes. So that was Nick's angle. I, I mean, cornmeal cakes and dried fish are a great and all, continued Nick. Oh, not complaining. One solid meal a day is a blessing, right? Martin gave Nick a skeptical side-eye glance. Nick cleared his throat and quickly pointed to the left to change the subject. Well, kind of strange being able to see Wilson Hill from here, isn't it? Oh, never used to be able to. People cut down a lot of trees over winter just to survive. But the cutting hasn't slowed down, even in summer. Martin decided to accept the subject change. If Nick was willing to pull Tin Man partway up Stockman Hill for an oat biscuit, who was he to criticize? Well, people are cutting to lay up for this coming winter, Martin added. Well, that and cooking right now. The pulling got a little harder, as the highway's gentle swale morphed into the start of Stockman Hill. Martin didn't want to admit, out loud, that Nick's help was appreciated. Appreciation for labor almost always implied a gift or payment of some kind. He vowed instead to do something helpful for Nick in the near future, as a delayed payment. As they passed Baldwin's barn and pasture, a thicket of wood stood close to the road on their right. Slender young maples and birches grew between the old oaks draped in bittersweet. Ah, nobody's cut into this patch of woods yet, said Martin, pointing to the right with the tip of his head. Oh, yeah, lots of young trees. Oh, easy to cut down quickly, said Nick, kind of surprised that they're not gone already. Uh, maybe this patch belongs to that old man in the brown house. Could be he's warning off any would-be scavengers that come by. Been some trouble with that, I hear. Something seemed off to Martin. As lush and green as the patch of forest was, he could see twenty or thirty yards into the woods, almost like he could in early winter. Normally, summer foliage was so thick, especially the understory, that seeing even ten feet into the woods was rare. The hill grew subtly steeper, demanding more of a lean forward. Martin had to stop staring into the woods and concentrate on his footing. They still had a hundred yards of hill to go. Martin, called out Charles. He stood in the open barn door. You're early, and you brought, uh, Nick? Uh, he just said he wanted to help, replied Martin. The Hendrix's level driveway felt like going downhill compared to the climb uphill. They had to lean back and take bracing steps to stop the trailer. I told him it wasn't a paying job. Oh, no, 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 not trying to horn in or anything, said Nick. Uh, just being neighborly and uh, helping. Can't a guy just be helpful? Both Nick and Martin unhooked themselves from Tin Man's trailer, stretched and twisted their backs in relief. Okay, said Charles cautiously as he walked up to him. Ah, just so we're clear on that. Don't want any unspoken expectations. Uh, pull your rig up beside the barn door. Maybe, yeah, yeah, right over there. I figure we can work in front of the barn where the light is good. But Tin Man and the generator's exhaust will be out in the open air. Well, uh, where do you want to start? asked Martin. He was impatient to get the work done. I'll show you, said Charles, as he began walking toward the barn. We figure we need something like you've got with Tin Man on his little wagon, except on a bigger scale. Tyler traded for this four-wheel ATV trailer, big enough to be roadworthy, uh, but small enough for three or four men to muscle it around. 
It's got a decent frame, springs, wheels, and such. Tyler stripped it down to the frame. This is where you come in. Is welding up mounts to hold all the little bits together. Okay, Martin answered cautiously. What are all the little bits? Ah, this way. As Charles walked into the barn, he pointed to a black and orange metal box about the size of a microwave oven. This here is our welder. Takes a lot of juice, but it can handle thicker steel like truck and trailer frames are made of. Over there on that wooden box is my new generator. <laughs> Slick, huh? Uh, it used to be the Gauthiers down at G&F Farms. It fit on one of his tractor's PTO, but uh, that tractor's got no fuel anymore, so they couldn't use it. I had to play coy, you know. Uh, not act like I wanted it as bad as I did. I traded him for three of our rabbits. One buck and two does. Uh, wait, said Martin. That was supposed to be driven by a power takeoff? Uh, that's a lot of horsepower. Well, what are you going to run it with? Ah, come on back and I'll show you. Charles motioned toward the door. As they walked around the barn, Martin could see the rest of the Hendricks property. Most of the trees that used to line the shortcut road to Wilson Hill were gone. Only a line of scrubby brush traced the sides of the old road. The stand of trees to the right of their cornfield was missing, too. Uh, have you guys had trouble with wood thieves? Martin asked. Ah, no, Charles replied over his shoulder. I heard there was some of that down in Sanford, and uh, maybe up in Longmeadow, though. Most people guard their woods these days. Yeah, why do you ask? Well, it's been a while since I've been behind your barn. You've got a lot less woods back here than I remember, said Martin. He pointed to the now-naked shortcut road and the expanse of stumps beside the cornfield. Ah, now that was us, said Charles. Cutting some to lay up for winter, and a little for cooking, but we've had to resort to cutting our own wood for trading at the coast. It's getting harder to wrangle up some wood from folks around here for trading for our coastal runs. People around here have been demanding more and more and trade for a half a cord. Everyone seems to be noticing that their woods is thinning out too and that wood could get scarce before winter. It's harder to turn a profit at their asking prices, I tell you. Which is precisely why we need more trailers. All more per trip. Make it more worthwhile. Ah, here we are. This is our engine. Charles gestured toward a faded brown tarp covering up a modest-sized tractor, rust-modeled yellow wheels, and gray weather-checked tires stood exposed below the tarp. He grabbed a corner of the tarp and whipped it off, tablecloth trick style. Ta-da! He paused to allow for audience response. Martin only stared. Well, I, uh, I know she ain't much to look at. You got that right, muttered Martin. You're gonna hook up your generator to this thing's PTO? Ah, well, uh, no, said Charles, a little crestfallen. His audience hadn't burst into applause. Uh, this is one of Dad's someday projects a few years back. Mid-1970s Model 1020. It ran okay-ish when he bought it at auction. Nice little three-cylinder engine. It needed a new clutch, uh, but over the years, I think water got into the transmission. Yeah, it won't budge. As you can see, Tyler is pretty far along taking the engine out. Martin pointed at the partially disassembled engine. You have to take the head off to take the engine out? Yeah, well, no, not so much. 
Charles looked down and gently kicked at a clump of grass with the toe of his boot. Uh, actually, it turns out the, uh, the engine needs a bit of an overhaul. Uh, poor compression. What? What? That means you really don't have an engine. This whole, ah, but we will, Charles quickly interrupted. As soon as we can locate some cylinder sleeves and some rings. But why are you bothering with all of that? Martin threw up his hands. He tried not to sound impatient and demanding. But Charles's project was starting to sound like quicksand. So find a different engine that doesn't need all that work. There's got to be loads of engines around that people can't use. Yeah, yeah, well, we thought so, too. Yeah, but it hadn't been as easy as all that, said Charles. Oh, we lucked, believe me. We asked around. There's not so much of the right size of engines as you'd think. Oh, sure, folks had lawnmower engines they'd trade. Yeah, but they're too small. That generator needs upwards of 20 horsepower. Too big of an engine, and the rig would be about the size of a truck. Well, there's an idea, said Martin. Use the truck's engine. You could rig up some... Charles shook his head. Yeah, yeah, we wrestled with that idea, too. No way to adapt the truck to a PTO drive without interfering with it being roadworthy. Gotta have our truck for running to the trades. So this, Martin gestured to the skeletal remnants of the old John Deere, is the best you could do? Charles put an arm around Martin's shoulder to steer him back toward the barn. Ah, don't you worry about the engine. Yeah, we got Walter, asking around with his radio, casting a bigger net. This was a pretty common engine, and still in service. Yeah, there's parts for it out there. Walter'll find them. Tyler and me'll get it running. All we're asking from you is some nice little steel mounts to hold them all. Martin shook his head as he walked through the tall grass. It was his turn to trudge like a convict. A half a day of labor was starting to look more like a worm with a hook inside it. Back in the barn, Martin focused on the task at hand. All he was asked to do was weld some mounts onto a naked ATV trailer's frame. That was what he was going to do, and not dwell on how Charles and Tyler were going to manage the rest. It was their project, not his. Nick had ten men fired up and making blue smoke. Martin used his magnet clamps to hold the first piece of square tubing in place. He attached the welder's ground clamp to a bare patch on the frame and lowered his mask. The world got dark and very small. Everything was black except for the bright spark and the little circle of light it created. He watched the line of molten metal jiggle and spit as he moved the welding tip back and forth in little zigzags along the seam. Getting mentally lost in the micro-focus of his task was a welcome escape from the enormity of his to-do list. After an hour and a half, Martin stood and peeled off his welding mask. He ran his fingers through his sweat-soaked hair, then gave Nick the sign to kill the generator. The silence that followed felt like being struck deaf. I need a break, Martin shouted unnecessarily. Uh, you don't need to shout, said Nick. Sorry, uh, so sorry, Martin rubbed his ears. I got all the pieces Charles had pre-cut. Everything fits his wooden templates pretty well. After I straighten up and stretch a bit, I want to go cut some angles to reinforce the motor mounts. I'll bet that engine will have some hefty torque twist going on. 
assuming they ever get it running. Oh, hello, boys, Mrs. Hendricks called from just outside the barn door. It got all quiet out here, so I thought maybe you might be ready for some lunch. Nick's face brightened. Uh, well, we could use a break, said Martin, but we don't want to be a burden on your supplies. Nick's eyebrows drooped into tragic mode. Oh, pshaw, no burden at all, sang Mrs. Hendrick. Yeah, come on in. Nick's smile returned. She led them through the middle house door. Her short, stocky frame had a sort of penguin waddle to it as she navigated through the maze of stacked boxes in the long mudroom. Tyler and Charles were already seated at the modest chrome-tube table. Mrs. Hendrick tapped on the backs of two empty chairs with her wooden spoon. Nick pulled out his chair and sat quickly with a beam of anticipation on his face. Martin sat stiffly, leaned back, and relished being off of his knees. Mrs. Hendrick returned from the kitchen counter with a bowl of pickled beets, a bowl of reconstituted dry fish flakes, the scraps from the cutting up of their coastal trading products, and a tray of triangular oat biscuits. Nick shot a quick glance at Martin with a was-I-right look. Martin shook his head. The man does love oat biscuits, he thought. While the bowls were being passed around, Martin noticed a black coaxial cable leading from the top of the stairway door down to the table. A handheld radio, barely visible, sat beneath Tyler's forearm. It crackled occasionally. I'm surprised you still got oats, Mrs. Hendrick, Nick said with his mouth full. He had skipped the pickled beets and fish, opting to start with the biscuits. She waved off his comment with a slight blush. Oh, I stocked up when they were on sale. Yeah, but we might have to look into planting oats next year, boys. Yeah, my bin is half empty. Say, began Martin, have any of you heard about people sneaking around through the woods up here? Tyler and Charles looked at each other, both chewing big mouthfuls, and shrugged. Nick looked up with his second biscuit in his mouth. He shook his head. Now, what do you mean by sneaking around? asked Mrs. Hendrick. Well, I'm not sure. I've not seen anything myself, but I've heard that there's some people wandering around in the woods. They don't seem to be up to trouble, so far as I've heard, but just kind of out there. Mrs. Hendrick tapped her chin with her finger. I wonder if that's what I saw yesterday morning. You saw something? asked Tyler. You didn't say you saw something. Well, I didn't know that I had, countered his mother. It was just before dawn. I was up early to roast some acorns before the day got hot, and one of my raccoon alarms went off. I've got some trip wires on the back side of the corn. Uh, those little buggers can destroy a day's worth of grain in just a few minutes. Oh, if I ever catch one of them, I'll... Mom, Charles interrupted her rant. What did you see? Oh, uh, right. Uh, anyhow, I uh, got my binoculars to check it out from the upstairs window. Just enough twilight to see. Whatever it was stayed in the brush at the edge of the field. I never got a good look. It was bigger than a raccoon, though, uh, and then it was gone. A knock at the mudroom door prompted all heads to turn. Tyler jumped up and ran to the window. He pressed the side of his face against the glass so that he could peer along the front of the house and see who was at the door. 
What? Uh, it's Walter. Uh, go unlock the door. Tyler flailed an arm toward his brother. Walter shuffled into the kitchen behind Charles. He looked tired and out of breath. Oh, what are you doing here? demanded Tyler. Uh, you said you would radio. He held up the handheld as if it were an ID badge. I know, I know, said Walter. He collapsed into Charles's empty chair. Uh, but Jen was going by with her trap. I flagged her down. Uh, hi, Martin. Uh, Mrs. Hendrick. Uh, uh, I hurried over the hill from her place. Uh, had to come tell you what I found. Oh, why did you do that? That's why we have radios, scolded Tyler. So uh, you found something? asked Charles, looking past the illogic that entangled his brother. Uh, you found our engine parts? Walter took a few more deep breaths. Uh, I did. Found a guy who had a full overhaul kit for your little JD-135. All he asks is for it is a 50-pound bag of corn. Well, that's great. Yeah, we could do that. But you could have just told us over the... Walter held up a finger. Oh, no, no. Transmission's not encrypted. That guy's got big ears. Yeah, couldn't risk anybody getting wind of a meetup. Had to tell you about it in person. Well, why? the two brothers asked at the same time. Well, the kit is in, um, Massachusetts. What? exclaimed Tyler. How does that do us any? It might as well be on Mars. Oh, now, said Walter. It's not that bad. My contact said he could arrange to do the swap at the border. There's a drop site down there that the resistance have been using a few times. There's a guy on our side of the border that is overseeing those swaps. Uh, he'd help. Oh, okay. Tyler stroked his chin. Oh, I guess we could do that. Well, that's good, said Walter. Yeah, but there's a catch. Both brothers rolled their eyes in unison. Yeah, what sort of catch? Walter looked at his watch. Well, he's uh, got to know right now if uh, the deal's on or not. What? Why? We didn't get a chance to discuss it. Afraid not, said Walter. He had regained his breath and sat up. He noticed the tray of oat biscuits and asked Mrs. Hendrick with his eyes. She nodded, and he slipped a biscuit off the tray. Nick took the opportunity to slowly pull another biscuit off for himself. I first heard about it yesterday evening. Said he needs to know ASAP today. Walter looked at his watch again. Like, uh, within a half an hour, so he can make the arrangements to get it to the drop site. I couldn't risk the radio, so I got over here as quickly as I could. The meetup needs to be early tomorrow morning on the Atkinson border. Tomorrow morning? mused Tyler. A half an hour? Charles shook his head. Even if we said yes right now, uh, how long would it take you to get back to your house? Yeah, the truck is cold. We can't get you home any faster than maybe 45 minutes. Uh, no need, Walter sat up and wiped the crumbs off his gray stubble beard. I've got Sally waiting on the radio. I can tell her to give the guy the green light right now. The two brothers looked at each other for a long moment. They made subtle facial expressions at each other as if communicating telepathically. Okay, said Tyler. It's a deal. We'll gather up the corn and head down to Atkinson tonight. Ah, great. Yeah, can I use your little handheld? 
Walter asked. Tyler nodded. After fiddling with the tuner, Walter put the unit up to his mouth. Uh, Mama Goose! Uh, Mama Goose! Are you there, Mama? Uh, hello, Mama Goose! Oh, hello! Uh, I mean, uh, Roger, uh, Papa Goose! came Sally's voice over the speaker. Yeah, when I sign off, tune that big transmitter, uh, you know, the one with the orange lights, uh, tune it to the number I wrote on that uh, yellow pad. Y uh, you see it? Uh, no, I don't see any yellow pad, Papa Goose. Oh, man, your desk is a total mess. You're really going to have to... Oh, oh, wait, here it is. Yeah, Papa Goose, you can give me housekeeping lessons later. Just tune that frequency and call for Rusty Pete. When he answers, say, the corn is in the crib. Uh, what corn? Uh, what crib? Uh, what does that mean? Walter's body writhed in mental agony. It doesn't matter what it means. He'll know what it means. Just say those words. I was just curious. You don't got to get all cranky. I'm not. Oh, never mind. Uh, Papa Goose out. Walter set the little radio on the table and sagged in his chair with a deep sigh. Ah, that woman got no tolerance for a mystery. I couldn't watch Matlock with her. She kept yelling at the TV, just wanted to know who did it, never mind all the clues and stuff. Oh, where exactly are we supposed to pick up this kit? asked Tyler. Ah, you got a map? asked Walter. It'd be easier to show you than tell you. Tyler returned to the kitchen table with a folded paper map. He refolded the well-worn and tape-repaired map to expose the southern tier of towns along the border. Walter pulled the map close and squinted at it. Okay, uh, see this bend in the border here? Okay, kind of a peak? That's about where the drop point is. I've never been there myself, yeah, but that's what they tell me. There's a guy down there that's somehow or other connected to the resistance in mass. He's the guy who manages these little transfers. To get to his place, you got to go down Route uh, 121 here. His bony finger traced along the black line. He's got a barricade across the road down that way to prevent any mass vehicular travel north. Oh, we can get the truck fired up in less than an hour, said Tyler. Oh, that'd be good, continued Walter. Oh, that guy down there's a piece of work, they tell me. Never spoken to him myself, uh, but they say he's jumpier than Joseph McCarthy at a commie convention. Oh, oh never mind, yeah, before your time. My point is, you'll want to have some extra hours to sit in the road while he tries to verify who you are. Even then, if he thinks there's something fishy about you, he might not ever let you get access to the drop point. He kind of guards it, you see. Wait, said Martin. Do you know this guy's name? Walter had to think for a moment, tapping his temple. Eh, Varney. Uh, yeah, yeah, Linwood Varney. Martin staggered back against the counter. Oh, man, this crazy project just keeps getting worse. He might never let you in. What, you know this guy? asked Tyler. Well, I got to know the muzzle of his 12-gauge more than him. His wife, Pat, is nice, though. Great! Tyler clapped his hands together. Then you'll come with us. You'll be our verification. Oh, no, 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 no. Martin waved his hands back and forth in front of himself. I only met him once, and it didn't go well. He thought I was trying to steal his rabbits. 
probably would have shot me, too, if his wife hadn't come along. Oh, no. You guys wanted some welding done. I did some. I'll finish up this afternoon. When you come back, that trailer will be ready for you to do the rest. Oh, come on, Martin, pleaded Tyler. The side door slammed shut. Got the corn bagged, said Charles as he strode into the room. Oh, come on, Martin, for what? Tyler gave Charles the express version of the meet-up plan and its problem. Ah, Tyler's right, said Charles. Ah, come on, Martin. You know this guy. He knows you. We're not buddies or anything. I'm the guy he thought was stealing his rabbits, protested Martin. Ah, but he must not have really believed that, because, uh, well, here you are. I'll bet he looks back on all that and laughs. Well, I don't think that guy ever laughs, muttered Martin. Well, there's no heavy lifting or anything, Tyler continued to sell it. We'll do all the meet-up stuff in the Forbidden Zone, carrying things, etc. You're just along for the ride as our, well, human ID badge. He held a cheesy grin. Ah, come on, Martin, added Charles. We need those parts to get our bigger welder running. Road train of trailers, he said enticingly. Bigger dividend for the Simmons home. There were still so many projects to get done around the Simmons property. Autumn would be upon them before they knew it. Winter was only a couple of months away after that. Could he really afford to be gone for another day? Was that fair to everyone else? Martin wondered if the prospect of more food for his household would always be his hot button. Margaret was always working herself ragged trying to feed them adequately, while also laying away food for the winter. If he could secure a little more, perhaps it would lighten her workload and she could relax just a little. Maybe Pat would be there. Yeah, he could appeal to her. He's being awfully quiet, Charles whispered to his brother. Shush, he's thinking. That's a good sign. Patience, little brother. Martin sighed and shook his head. Okay, fine. I'll go down and be your human ID. But there's no guarantee he'll let you guys in just because he recognizes me. But you said yourself that the man tried to kill you, protested Margaret. Well, Martin waffled, he only threatened. He didn't actually try to. You're splitting hairs. The point is that he obviously didn't like you. Nobody threatens someone they like. Why would having you along make it any easier for them? Margaret was making the same case that Martin had already run through his own mental legal system. It's a slim angle, I'll admit. The trouble is that if this Varney guy gets suspicious in any way, he's kept people waiting out on his roadblock for days while he checks out their stories. Most people just give up and leave. We, yeah, well, mostly Charles and Tyler, can't wait. They've already agreed to meet this guy at four in the morning tomorrow. They need to get approved quickly by this Varney guy. It sounds doomed to fail, muttered Margaret. And we have so much to do around here. Oh, I know. With me out of action for the rest of today and probably half of tomorrow. Oh, tomorrow. That's when I was supposed to meet Mara. Well, you can cross that off your task list, said Margaret firmly. If she's dressed like you said she was, then I'll be the one meeting with her from here on out. Ah, uh, thanks, Kit Kat. He kissed her on the forehead. Don't forget to bring your uh, mending pile and... I am not fixing those old cargo pants. You can just stop with the puppy eyes. They're not... Hey, 
Puppies don't get all handsy. They... He pulled her close and silenced her with a long kiss. She stopped swatting at him and slowly wrapped her arms behind him. Oh, just because you kiss good doesn't mean I'm going to mend those old pants, she purred. Well, after a kiss like that, I don't know if I care about him anymore, he said softly. Two short honks from the road interrupted their lingering goodbyes. Oh, Charles is here. Gotta go. Be back tomorrow, maybe midday? Uh, hard to say. Martin slung his backpack over his shoulder, picked up his carbine, and dashed out the door. Ah, busy times. In addition to the overall plot for Book 6, what I've been calling Wood and Iron, I wanted to sprinkle throughout the events how people living in a grid-down world would be busy, having a lot of work to do. It wouldn't necessarily be super heavy work, like carrying pianos around, but it would be time-consuming tasks that would fill up their days. In our modern era, we've developed all kinds of time-saving tools. I know I've already mentioned this before, but things like cars that can transport us dozens of miles in a matter of minutes, or electric coffee grinders, or well pumps, etc. We end up saving all kinds of time. If you'd equipped yourself well for a grid-down reality, you could probably manage to do most of the things you need to do by manual means, which is good. What we might not appreciate is how much time all of those manual tasks will take. We could easily be busy from dawn to dusk just preparing food, fetching water, cleaning, maintaining things. I really don't think people in a grid-down world will be sitting around complaining that there's nothing to do. No, I suspect it will be a lot like those old-time farmers, up before the sun, working outside on the farm all day, back home for supper at dusk, and then off to bed after that. Old-time farmers were never whining about there being nothing to do. Boredom is a luxury problem. Summertime is usually busy here around the homestead, what with gardening, pest control, you know, protecting chickens from bobcats, and projects like fence repair, maintenance, etc. So, with Book 6 set in the summer, I figured that the Simmons household would be doubly busy. The usual busy chores of summer, but with the added burden of everyday things taking a lot longer to do. Their grid-down summer would have the added tension of knowing that they had to make the most of their time and their produce for the winter to come. There wouldn't be a supermarket to run out to to fill up those last-minute empty shelves in the pantry. They wouldn't be lounging around in shady hammocks all afternoon. In podcast news, I've got a question for you. Now that you've heard a couple of my in-between episodes on Prepper Fiction, what do you think? Let me know. Next week, Jeff and Brian and I will be taking a tour of nuclear doom fiction. And I do appreciate your supporting this podcast by buying a coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash Mick Rowland, all one word. And I appreciate all of you who've been monthly supporters at either Buy Me a Coffee or Patreon. I do appreciate all of your support. Thanks for listening.